Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Well, it's good to see everybody out on a cold Wednesday night. May God's Word just warm our hearts tonight. If you could open up your Bibles to the Song of Solomon, chapter 1. Song of Solomon, chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one right in the pew in front of you. So my wife just uh, walked in from work and she said, Vin, why are you doing the Song of Solomon? Of all the books, why did you choose the Song of Solomon? And that's a great question. Um, as you know, we try to go through all the books in the Scriptures, or all the books in the Bible, and it usually takes several years to do that. So we have a list of the books that haven't been taught yet. So I came down to three, and I did a little research on it. And some of the people, like Moody and Spurgeon, they said that was their favorite book. And I said, wow. That's crazy, you know, because there's so much in it that can be uh, misconstrued or misunderstood. So I thought I'd just uh, take that challenge and go for it. And a lot of the songs tonight, I think the desire that God has put on my heart as it, at this point in my life is to just fall deeper and deeper in love with Him. Just to know Him more. I don't think we can ever know our Savior enough. I don't think we can ever know the Trinity enough. I think it's always something that we can be pursuing in this life. And I think God knows all our hearts. And, and as we put in the time to study His Word, I think He honors that. And He develops a deeper relationship with all of us. And I hope that's a desire of all your hearts, that you just fall in love with Him more and more each and every day. Well, last time we did the first few verses of the Song of Solomon. So we're going to pick up tonight on uh, verse 4. But just really a quick capsule of what we've done. You know, there's 66 books in the Bible. And of course, the Song of Solomon is in the Old Testament. But the Bible is broken up into categories like historical books and prophetical books. And the Song of Solomon is the fifth of the five poetry books. So it's listed under, under poetry. Uh, the Song of Solomon, we looked last time at, in the first few verses in just the introduction. Solomon is a man who had a half heart towards God. He was really torn between the world and serving his Lord. In 1 Kings chapter 4, 32, we looked that Solomon wrote 1,005 songs. And of those 1,005 songs, this was the top of the charts. This was his number one hit. This was the gold album right here, the gold song of all his songs that he wrote. We looked last time at the various types of kisses and their significance, spiritually speaking. We looked at how love was compared to wine and the different characteristics of wine 
and how that was similar or not so similar to love. And we looked at the significance of oil. We looked at there were different, there's different ways to approach the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon. One is you could look at it as God's marriage manual, the sacredness of marriage the divine, as a divine institution. Uh, number two, you could look at it as, a, as an allegory, the love of God towards his wife Israel. Also, as a love story, also allegorically, as a bridegroom and his bride, we the church. And then you can also look at it as love of Jesus for the individual. So most of the uh, direction I'm taking are the last two. The, is a love story between Jesus as our bridegroom and us as the bride. But then to break it down even more on an individual basis, our individual love of Jesus and developing that as we move forward on this, on this earth. I think a lot of times people look at the Song of Solomon and right away they're concerned, oh, it's so sexual, so sensual. And I guess you could take that angle on it. And as I was thinking about that, I was just thinking uh, today's young people and possibly some middle-aged and older people because of how we're bombarded in our culture today that... They know a lot about sex, but they don't know about love or commitment. Another thing is we see the free love, the Hollywood type of love, the romances that are here today and gone tomorrow. Today's youth know more than their parents did at the same age. A father was going to a teen, his teenage son and said, son, I want to talk to you about the facts of life, the birds, the bees. And he goes, okay, Dad, what do you want to know? Um, the TVs uh, that kids are exposed to, and not only kids, young people, and I'm saying young from uh, single digits all the way up into their 20s and 30s primarily. And I say at that age because after a certain age, we've been exposed and we've seen the transformation of TV and music to what it is today, and even literature. But the young people, they watch TV, movies, they read magazines that are full of adultery, fornication, living together, unfaithfulness. So that's really all they know if they don't have a biblical worldview. And finally, that becomes their religion. That's their belief system. Again, my intent and approach is to fall deeper in love with Jesus, both from a physical, spiritual, mental, and a social intensity towards him. Um, physically to do, to act out my faith, to be an example of that love, that relationship. Spiritually, a desire, just a desire that constantly is burning you know, we sang the one song of the joy of our, to return to the joy of our salvation. Have you lost that? I believe the book of uh, Song of Solomon could be something that can reignite you as you do a study in it. The mental uh, approach, you know, to dwell your thoughts 
permeate in just the uh, majesty of Christ and his word to meditate on it day and night. The social intensity towards Jesus, the dialogue, how we conduct ourselves with others, where our conversations lead. So let's dive in to uh, chapter 1, and we're going to begin with, pick up on verse 4. And it says, draw me away, we will run after you. The king has brought me into his chambers, we will be glad and rejoice in you. We will remember your love more than wine. Looking at that word, draw me. In Jeremiah 31.3, it says, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. As you meet Jesus, as you get to know Jesus, you find out more about his character, his nature. And you can't help by, but respond with a reciprocal love when you understand what he's done. In John 6, it says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. I think we, as individual peoples, need to say, Lord, I want that desire in me to, to run hard after you. I need you to draw me to you. And the promise of God is as we're drawn to him, he will draw to us. So it's that relationship. So each one of us have access to the throne of God as believers in Jesus. Do we want to pursue it more? Or are we just content where we are? That running is is a divine enablement that God allows us to do once we're drawn. It's, It's an action on our part brought about by God's grace. Psalm 119.32 says, I will run after you. And I broke that down a little more. I will run the course of your commandments for you enlarge my heart, Psalm 119.32 says. So I will run after you for you shall enlarge my heart. When we're drawn to God and the things of God and pursuing his holiness and loveliness, he enlarges our heart to be able to be filled with more of him, which is a a beautiful thing. One of the things, along with that verse, if you break it down, is you run the course of his commandments. Now, when you hear the word commandment, you might think of the Ten Commandments. But remember, we're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. So what is that? Well, it's God's word. It's the things he lays down in his words that we want to run after. We want to pursue it. But the Holy Spirit enables us to do these things. It's not something pie in the sky. It's not something we have to try to do. But as we're abiding in Jesus Christ, he's the vine. We're the branches. His his spirit just flows through us. And we see that growth, that maturity, as we look back from week to week or month to month or year to year. We look back and we see how far God has brought us. Also in Psalm 119.60, it says, I made haste 
and did not delay to keep your commandments, to keep your word. The king hath brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine. The upright love thee. Psalm 63, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. And I think of that world, uh, the word wilderness. Are you in a wilderness tonight? Are you in a dry place tonight? Where the Lord has to bring, uh, breathe in life and moisture for something good to grow out of it. Psalm 63 says, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. I think as we try to pursue God, as we want to fall deeper in love with him, we have to ask ourselves these questions. Do we seek him? Do you thirst after him? Are you parched to have a deeper relationship with him? Is your heart, is your spirit like your flesh on that dry and thirsty, hot summer day, that humidity day, you know, where you want that refreshment of some nice cold water? Is that how you feel in your heart, that you just want that refreshment that only Jesus can bring to you spiritually? And that word there in that verse, you know, the king has brought me into his chambers. Remember, we're talking about the king of kings. I said last time, Solomon had a lot of faults. He had a thousand wives where God only wanted him to have one. You know, so our love, our first love should be Jesus Christ. Do we have other lovers besides Christ as a preeminent one? King Jesus wants to bring us into his chambers. He wants to have that quiet, quality time with us. You know, think about that bedroom as a married couple, how precious that is with your mate. The things, the secret things, the things that go on in there. Well, Christ Jesus wants to have that secret time with you spiritually. Things that are between you and him. You pour out your heart. He pours out his heart to you. And when you leave that chamber and you are with other people, they know there's something, that person, you've been with Jesus. You spent time in the chambers with Christ. And the unsaved are drawn to you because there's something about you. And we know it's Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory. Your good ointment, your name is ointment poured forth. Jesus, the sweet fragrance of Jesus' name. We sang it tonight. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's something about that name. In heaven and even on the earth. Right? We, I, I don't know if it was in this past Sunday's sermon, but you talk about God generally, there's no problem. 
boy, but when you say the name Jesus, the sea parts. There's something going on. It's a supernatural name. There's no other name under heaven or earth how we can be saved but the name of Jesus. And notice in this uh, verse, there's people running after the daughters of Jerusalem. We will run after you as you're being drawn away. We want to follow you. You know, there's people that you mentor that just want to follow you in your love relationship with Christ. We will be glad and rejoice in you. Praise, thanksgiving, honor that we give him as we meditate on his word, as we sing praises in a congregation like tonight. We will remember your love more than wine. We talked about that last time, how wine, the effect of wine can wear off, but the effect of Jesus should never wear off. One is temporary, one is eternal. Let's look at uh, verse 5. I am dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not look upon me because I am dark, because the sun has tanned me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. One of the things in the um, Middle East and over in that area, you'll still see people traveling all covered up. Back in this day, it wasn't a good thing to have a dark tan body. Most of the people would try to stay out of the sun, try to be covered up. Usually it was the servants, it was the people that uh, worked the vineyards that were out in the sun. But if they were wealthier, if they were better off, they were just keeping inside, covered. They wouldn't go out in the sun. Here's a picture up here of just a a camel caravan along the trade route. And you can see um, out front is a person walking. And it's kind of blurry in the back. There's some people walking. But what I wanted to show you was just the... uh, type of tent that's on the camel and there are people in that tent that are shading themselves from the hot desert sun do you and I as followers of Jesus are we covered by the shadow of his wings or are we exposed to the things of the world that can burn us that can mess us up We want to always stay in the shadow of his wings. He's our covering. Now, in in the Song of Solomon, this Shulamite girl, she was a farm girl. Uh, We might call her today like a hillbilly girl. You know, she was a worker. She was a servant. And she says in verse 5, I am dark, but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar. Now here, you can see these tents today. Um, And what they are is they're uh, made from black goats. It's goat hair that's woven together. 
And if you've ever go in any of these uh, tents, they're really beautiful inside. It would be like some of the homes we have here. Of course, not as big, but here you can even see a whole, like almost a neighborhood of these, of these tents. So on the outside, they look, you know, like who will live in that? But it's amazing. And we've seen movies where you, they go into these tents and the sheiks and stuff. It's beautiful inside. The rugs and, and the ornaments and the gold and all those kind of things. So this particular uh, girl, is she's saying I'm dark, but notice she's lovely. From a spiritual standpoint, you and I are dark because of our sins. But because of Christ and what he's done for us, and before we were, before Christ died on the cross, he loved us. He knew you before we were even born. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His love was in action. He showed us by dying on the cross. And that gives us our loveliness in Christ. Outside of Christ, we're dark. Our sins are like scarlet. It's dark, filthy, dirty. In Christ, though, we're cleansed. We're white as snow. Verse 6 says, do not look upon me because I am dark. Because the sun has tanned me. My mother's sons were angry with me. These would be her brothers or her stepbrothers. They made me the keeper of the vineyards. So we see that she's working in the vineyards. But notice her own vineyard she has not kept. And that's an application to her own personal walk and growth and appearance. She couldn't look like these other ladies who were shading themselves. She wasn't of that status. She was out there working. She was getting dark by the sun. But yet God saw beyond that. Verse, one thing before we move to verse 7 question we need to ask ourselves are we taking care of our vineyard are we taking care of our own spirit and our heart are we allowing Jesus to teach us to work on us to mold us it's an it's an ever it's always happening it's something that he's always doing he's always setting us apart he's always sanctifying us he's always working on our heart think of those things in your heart that you still wouldn't want to share with anybody well Christ wants to keep working on those very things we need to be concerned with our own vineyard our own heart our own spirit verse 7 tell me O you whom I love, where you feed your flock, where you make it rest at noon. For why should I be as one who veils herself by the flocks of your companions? If you do not know, O fairest among women, follow in the footsteps of the flock and feed your little goats beside the shepherd's tent. So we have a conversation going on. In verse 7, the Shulamite woman is saying, tell me, O you whom I love, 
where you feed your flock, where you make it rest at noon. For why should I be as one who veils herself by the flocks of your companions? We're seeing that not only did this girl work in the vineyards, but she was also working with flocks. She must have been one heck of a worker. But notice, she wants to know where her beloved feeds his flock. Where they find rest. And then she says, why should I veil myself? Why should I find comfort and rest by the flocks of your companions? What she's saying is, I want to be right with you. I want to be right in your presence. In John chapter 10, verse beginning with verse 1, it says, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. Shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Before I just wrap this up, this particular verse, there are things going on in Christian churches that they are getting outside of God's word. They're eliminating the Old Testament and just paying attention to the new. That's like walking around with half your spiritual body. The Old Testament is what Jesus Christ taught from. He didn't have the New Testament. It wasn't written yet. He went to the Old Testament. So... We have to be alert and aware that the society that we live in today is trying to change things up from the fundamentals of our faith. We want the whole counsel of God from Genesis to Revelation. And praise God, we get it here at this church. Not every church can say that. And there are wolves that try to come into churches like this. To try to get us off our doctrinal course. 
But Jesus in 14 says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me. And I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. That's our shepherd. That's our king. That's who we're following. That's the one who's given us his word and breaking it down through the power of his Holy Spirit. This girl wanted to be with her flock right with the king, with the shepherd. Her heart was right. She wanted to be there with her number one love. Is that where we want to be? Right with our number one love. And the shepherd answers, and the king answers it in verse 8, If you do not know, O fairest among women, follow in the footsteps of the flock and feed your little goats beside the shepherd's tent. Stay in fellowship with those people who have a heart after God. Young people, stay in fellowship where there's older people who have been down that spiritual road who can build into your life. Young people, look for younger people to build into because you'll be the older ones for them that are working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Older people, keep it God's word. Keep your face in the book. Keep learning. Keep falling deeper and deeper in love with Christ because you're having an influence on another generation below you. That if, we, if the Lord tarries and we go to be with him, we need that middle age group. We need those 30s and 20s and teenagers to keep the banner of Christ going. It doesn't just happen. It's got to be a desire in your heart. Verse 9. I have compared you, my love, to my filly among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with chains of gold. We will make you, you ornaments of gold with studs of silver. Now this is the bridegroom. This is the shepherd. This is the king. Saying, I have compared you, my bride, my, my love, to my filly among Pharaoh's chariots. Now, Pharaoh's chariots were pulled by male horses, but they were the best. They were, they were strong. They were healthy. They were alive. They had a fire. And that is what he is comparing this girl to. Jesus wants the bride of Christ to be strong, to be vibrant, to be full of fire and life. 
But that only comes as you allow the Holy Spirit of God to take over your heart. Remember, Solomon had half a heart towards God. King Saul had no heart towards God. But King David had a whole heart towards God. He was a man after God's own heart. He wasn't perfect. None of us are. But is our heart following hard after God? Or are we easily thrown off course by the things of the world? Pray to God for that desire that you would always stay true to your first love. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with chains of gold. We, we see in the scriptures that gold and silver, the ornaments of royalty or of uh, um, just a, a better type of life. Well, in this Song of Solomon, He's bestowing that on this girl who's really just, like I said, a hillbilly, just a country girl that works out in the field. He's bringing her from there to another place. It's almost like the story of Ruth, the Moabite, who followed hard after God. Remember saying to Naomi, wherever you go, I'm going. Wherever you live, I'm going to live. And where your God will be my God. So here we see that heart that God elevates you and I from being pauper spiritually to being kids, sons and daughters of the king. God has given us his deposit of his Holy Spirit and one day we come into the full inheritance of his kingdom. We're on that road right now. And notice the daughters of Jerusalem who are right along with this Shulamite girl. We will make you ornaments of gold with studs of silver. We'll support that. We'll keep adding to that. And I see that as fellowship where we're encouraging one another. We're adding to the spiritual ornaments that God is bestowing on us. That he blesses us with. I think of Galatians 5 with the joy and peace and patience and love. We're to stir one another up in good works. To keep, to keep at it. To keep helping each other run this race that we're in. God is preparing you and me. We're the bride of Christ. We're the church of God. He's preparing us says in the scriptures, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy, set apart, redeemed, cleansed by his blood, given new life, and without blemish. Isn't that amazing what Jesus has done for us through the plan of God the Father and through the power of the Holy Spirit? That he gave himself for us. He sanctified us. He set us apart. He cleansed us. He washes us by his word. 
Just by reading scripture as we're doing tonight, he's washing us. He's cleansing us. He's getting us ready for the big wedding day. Do you realize that's where we're all heading to the marriage supper of the Lamb? He's getting us ready. He's getting our spiritual hearts ready. Don't be fooled by this world system. You know, as you get older, or as things are thrown your way, that's a distraction. Keep your eyes on Christ. You think of Peter on the water, right? He was walking on the water right towards Christ. Then he started looking at the wind and the waves. We look at our age or we look at our finances or we look at uh, injury or we look at something that takes our eyes off of Christ. He's our focal point. He's the one we're heading towards. He never loses sight of you. He knows everything that's going on. I'll finish up with verse 12. While the king is at his table... While the king is at his table. As, as we study this, this king is at his banquet table. This is where he goes with his close friends or, or people invited to that table or as his guest. Jesus went into heaven to prepare a place for us. And we're going to be at a wedding feast one day where we're going to be Married to Christ. And we're going to have a seven year feast. At this table. In Luke 14. Verses 15 to 24. Now when one of those who sat at the table with her. With him. Heard these things. He said to him. Blessed is he who shall eat bread. In the kingdom of God. Then he said to him. A certain man gave a great supper. And invited many. And sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor, and the maimed, and the lame, and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Psalm 23, 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. There's a story in the Old Testament of a man who was a cripple because he was dropped at uh, when he was a little boy. He was dropped. And he was a cripple. But he was Jonathan's son. And he was a cripple. But when he sat at the banquet table, 
He was sitting just like I'm here and all you see is from the waist to the chest up. You didn't see his crippled feet. When we're at the banquet table of Christ, when we're eating with him, when we're taking in his word, do you understand that Jesus sees you wholly perfect as you're going to be one day in the kingdom? He doesn't see the faults that you see. You've been covered in the blood of Christ. You've been covered in his blood. You're whole in Christ. Don't believe the enemy's lie that you are lacking in Christ. So as we close, we covered a few verses tonight. Just think of your position in Christ and who you are as a son or daughter of the king. Do you desire to draw closer to him? That desire comes only through him. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.